Would you open God's precious holy word to Luke chapter 17? Actually, we will only be in verses 20 and 21 today, and I will bring you a message that I call the first realm of the kingdom. So let's look at these two verses, verses 20 and 21. Now, having been asked by the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God is coming, he answered, The kingdom of God does not come with careful observation, nor will they say, look here or look there, for the kingdom of God is in the midst of your limits. The first realm of the kingdom. Jesus Christ himself bridges the disconnect that had grown to be by this time in history among God's people, the disconnect regarding the kingdom. The kingdom of God is vitally important for the people of God to think about, study, grasp, understand. Kingdom of God. Sadly, so many people, even within the church, really don't have a grasp of the subject of the kingdom of God. Hopefully, we'll understand more about it when we finish thinking about what's being said here and how Christ Responds to them. Of course, this is said by the Pharisees in mockery, and here's why. The Pharisees had an eschatology very similar to mine. And it went like this. And we read this in a book by Emil Schurer, who wrote a book called The History of the Jews in the Time of Christ. And he outlines the eschatology, the the doctrine of end things or the doctrine of last things that the Jews had in the day of Christ. We can look at it. We can know what they believed. They believed, of course, in the kingdom. As a matter of fact, the Bible is careful to point out that Simeon, Anna, and Joseph of Arimathea, among others, were looking for the kingdom. So this was a big subject for them. Their eschatology was that at any moment they knew that they would have to endure as the Jewish people, they would have to endure the tribulation that was described in the Old Testament, those seven years. They believed that matters would be so dire for the Jewish people that the only thing that could rescue them was the coming of their Messiah. So he would come as as king and conqueror and right down into that tribulation after those seven years, he would smush, smash, crush the enemies of the 
people of God. And then he would establish his kingdom on earth and beckon for all of the Israelites around the world to come to the land that God had covenanted to them. And he would, he would build, rebuild slash build Jerusalem into the most magnificent city the world would ever know. Now that's very similar to my, my eschatology. Here's the disconnect. They disregarded the first coming of their Messiah, which was the coming of the Messiah in which he would suffer. Through that, he would have to first establish himself, the first realm of the kingdom. And then... According to God's purpose, plan, and will, in the appointed way, at the appointed time, all things would culminate in the universal kingdom. We'll talk about that as we go through this. So look what Christ says here. Now here they are, okay, Christ, let me go back. There are two realms of this kingdom that are presented in the scriptures. Now. God is absolutely sovereign over, both the, sovereign over both realms. There may be other realms that I don't know about, but it pleased God to reveal two of those realms in the Bible. The first, of course, is the material kingdom over which God is sovereign. And this is where humanism tries to humanize God and tries to box God in to the ways of man. But you can't do that, of course. God is absolutely sovereign in his material kingdom. Subatomic particles, protons, electrons, neutrons, the universe itself, galaxies, vistas, whatever, all through as far as it goes. God is absolutely sovereign over all of those things. And this is the great preaching that we're called to do. You, you look, you look, well, I'll get to that in a minute. God is sovereign, sovereign over the material kingdom. He is also absolutely sovereign over the second realm of that kingdom, which is the spiritual realm of the kingdom. Let's talk about the material kingdom. Absolutely sovereign. God has established laws of physics and, and chemistry and science that are infallible. You can't trick it. You can't outmaneuver it. It is as God established it. This is, this is the great statement that God has made to creation that he's the creator. We can't, we, we can't uh, do anything that is like creation. We can't replicate creation. We can't make something out of nothing. We can't establish these magnificent laws of thermodynamics and all these other things where if something is just the slightest way off, everything explodes. 
God does that. This is his number one great statement. And people who don't understand that all things begin with God are fools. We've gone through these couple or three centuries where so-called scientists have, through theory, tried to dismiss the creative power of God. You can't do it. You can't change those laws of of thermodynamics and physics and, and so forth. They're absolute, and God has made them that way. So he is absolutely sovereign over his material kingdom. There's nothing anything in his creation can do to undo that. Can't do it. It is so easy to debate someone who is not a creationist because all you have to do is go back to the first thing and simply ask the question, where did that come from? How did that thing start? So even if it's the so-called Big Bang, okay, who lit the fuse? Who put something there that would explode? Can't go beyond that because... It is God. God said, my ways are not your ways. My ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My thoughts are above your thoughts. They're just some things we can't enter into because we're not God. God is absolutely sovereign over his material kingdom. The things that we see that are created. That leads us to the second realm. God is also absolutely sovereign over his spiritual kingdom. This is where the world in general tries to create some other alternate reality where God is not sovereign in the material kingdom. Sadly, even those within the church try to create some thought process where God is not sovereign over his spiritual kingdom. But he is. There wouldn't be a spiritual kingdom if God had not ordained it. So then Christ here is not talking about the material kingdom. He has already proven his lordship over that. He would calm the storm, raise the dead, heal the sick. Everything, turn water into wine. Everything that Christ did proved that he is the absolute sovereign of the material kingdom. He said, I could call legions of angels. Now, he's also sovereign over the spiritual kingdom. This is where the Pharisees could not go along with him because the spiritual kingdom, the material kingdom involves creation. The spiritual kingdom involves re-creation creation. Christ said, you have to be born again. The New Testament is replete with the truth that God causes people to be born again. You cannot birth yourself spiritually. You can't do it. God has to do that for you. So just as surely as God is absolutely sovereign over his material kingdom, he is absolutely sovereign over his spiritual kingdom. God created so many things and such an expanse 
And on the seventh day, he rested, not because he was tired, but because he was through. He accomplished what he intended to accomplish in creating the material universe, the kingdom, the material kingdom. What anything else can be done? We can't add to that. We can't do anything to add to what God has done. Nor, nor can we displace God in his sovereignty over his spiritual kingdom. Just as surely as God created the stars that would be stars, the constellations that would be constellations, the planets, the sun, just as surely as God created those, God also is sovereign over who gets into his spiritual kingdom. Now this is where the Jews are having a problem. The spiritual kingdom is going to require a path. No, that's not right. A theology. The spiritual kingdom is going to require a theology that the the Jews just simply rejected. Because they believed they could determine who could be qualified to live in God's kingdom. Only God does that. Man doesn't do that. God does that. Christ here says the kingdom of God is right in the middle of you. Now this is to be seen two ways. Number one, Christ, the king of the kingdom, and the one who would grant admission is standing in their midst. But number two, the the, the kingdom is within you. That's why he says up here, the kingdom of God does not come with careful observation. You go back, for example, to the book of Joel. In the book of Joel, you have these, this description of these cataclysmic end time apocalyptic things that happen before the kingdom can be established on planet earth. In clearer detail, those things actually are described in the book of the Revelation as well as the seals are broken and the, the trumpets are blown and the, the bowls are poured out. You have the same things, just in clearer detail. These horrific things. Christ stands there presenting himself as Messiah. And they're saying, you can see it written in what Christ is responding to. They're saying, we haven't seen the sun turn, the, 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 the sun darkened or black. We haven't seen the moon turn to blood. We haven't seen all these awful things that are supposed to happen. Christ says, the kingdom of God doesn't get within you by careful observation. This is not the time for that. This is the time where all things are done and accomplished so that the spiritual kingdom, the reality of it, is firmly established. That has to happen before the universal kingdom is finally culminated. So here we are. God calling his own to himself as he sees fit. And like those in the, like the apostles in the book of Acts. We are proclaiming the kingdom of God. 
It is so clearly defined that God, through the Apostle Paul in, second, um, in 1 Corinthians 6 and Galatians 5 and in Ephesians 5, God even describes those who cannot come in. And he, he, he delineates the different kinds of people who live in these awful kinds of sinful ways and they're just fixed there and they will not repent. So in those three, at least in those three places, and then of course, at the very end of it, Christ says, here are those who are on the outside in the end of the revelation. These are the ones who couldn't come in. And he gives a broad description of the categories of people. So you see, God calls people to himself, and there may be people who are utterly, blatantly sinful, unrepentant, and the fact that they are unrepentant always is revealed in their lives by some, by some terrible tag that's placed on them. And Paul says, inspired by the Spirit, here are the kinds of people that are not in the kingdom of God. You can addendum that and say, because when you are born again, you are recreated. You are a new creature in Christ. This is the spiritual kingdom. This is where we are now. We're like those, as I said earlier, in the book of Acts, the apostles, the early church, preaching, you read it all the way through, preaching the kingdom of God. Now, what is the preaching of the kingdom of God? It's very simple. That God is absolutely sovereign. Sovereign. People try to humanize God, and sometimes even the invitation is extended as though it was a debatable thing. As though entrance into this kingdom was totally and wholly dependent upon you rather than the power of God. Now, a lot of things happen in the life of a person all at once that God causes to happen. And it's very easy to see and understand how we, we feel like we were compelled within and so forth. Indeed we are, but it is by the power of God and not by the power of the human will. God is, abs if God was not absolutely sovereign over who got into the kingdom, these Pharisees would be as qualified as anybody else. God would not have said through the writings of the Apostle Paul, these people ain't going to make it. Because they were never recreated out from what they were. They have no spiritual life. The Spirit of God is not there. They are dead in trespass and in sin. The material kingdom comes by just absolute power. Laws are established. This is the way it is. It ain't going to change. The spiritual kingdom comes by divine revelation. Let me say that again. The spiritual kingdom is built not upon human will or power, but by divine revelation and sovereign will and power. That's the spiritual kingdom. That is the spiritual kingdom. God determines who gets in and who doesn't. 
When we preach the kingdom, here's what we're basically preaching. We are preaching to people that God is absolutely sovereign. We live in a terribly deluding age, deceptive age, where increasingly people are thinking that they can determine for themselves the way of man. It naturally culminates in such things as debating what gender you are, for example. That is, that is so asinine, it almost doesn't deserve debate, but it, here we are. People telling other people who they are, what you can do, you follow this path and it'll be okay, you do this. Totally apart from the blessed holy word of God. And so we live in this age of delusion. This is why people need to be careful to study the book. Verse by verse, word by word. So that you are equipped to deal with the satanic forces that have been unleashed in this present age. There is a spiritual kingdom over which God is sovereign. It doesn't matter what man says. This is the preaching of the kingdom. God is sovereign, whether you like it or not. Whether you believe it or not, God is sovereign. He is sovereign in his material kingdom. He is sovereign in his spiritual kingdom. And so we preach Christ because he's the king of the kingdom. And we let God take care of the results. We can't force the results. Oh, I wish we could, but we can. No, I don't. It'd be such a weird kingdom if I... Oh. God does it right. We preach the kingdom. And if we preach the kingdom, we preach that God is sovereign. We preach a sovereign God. You can laugh, but you won't laugh long. You can scoff and wag your head and debate and disagree, but it doesn't matter. Because just like the beginning of all things determined the sovereignty of God, the end of all things will also determine for all people the sovereignty of God. The spiritual kingdom comes by divine revelation. What does the book of Romans say? Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. It's very clear that God revealed his word to Adam because you study the book of Genesis even before the flood. This is the record or the book of the generations of heaven or earth. Or what. This is the book of the generations of Adam. This is the book. What that means is there was a record. God spoke to and revealed himself through Noah. And so God manifested himself. Noah was a preacher of righteousness, the Bible says. The, 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 the world was not without the word. Enoch, in the pre-flood world, preached, Behold, the Lord comes with thousands, myriads of his saints. He was preaching the second coming and the judgment of God even before the first coming, even before the flood. The 
Then move on from that, the prophets. The prophets preached about God, revealed God, revealed his kingdom, even began to describe how the kingdom would be. Then the great mediator, as Paul writes to Timothy, there's one mediator between God and man, and that is the man Jesus Christ. The great revealer, the great divine revelation of God, personified in God the Son, Jesus Christ. And this brings us to where we are. Christ now, and then the church teaches and preaches, if we're doing it right, that the spiritual kingdom of God will grow. Earlier in Luke, our Lord said, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It starts so small, tiny, insignificant. Oh, but oh, how it grows. Oh, what it does. He even compared it to leaven in, the, in a lump of dough. And in that case, it wasn't used as a sinful thing. It was used to show how something so seemingly insignificant placed in a particular environment will grow almost exponentially. And this is the kingdom, the spiritual kingdom. The spiritual kingdom continues to grow and grow and grow until finally... The Lord then comes, the Lord Jesus comes, first of all, by his parousia, he will take his church away, then come back with his church and his saints and his angels. And, and there, after that tribulation, establish his millennial kingdom, the great nation of Israel will be the preferred nation in those thousand years. And in those thousand years, the kingdom, in a very special way, continues to grow spiritually. Until the end of it. And at the end of it, I think we studied that from 1 Corinthians. Then comes the end. Showing how the spiritual kingdom grows and then how the, how the resurrection, each man in his own order. But then at the end of those thousand years, the Bible says he delivers the kingdom up to the Father. So everything that was is not. First heaven and first earth pass away, Bible said. Then comes new heaven and new earth. The material kingdom merges at last with the spiritual kingdom and thus the universal kingdom. How did it get that way? Because God is sovereign. That's why. Not by the will of man. Not by the power of man. But by the will and the power of God. So today we preach the kingdom. God is sovereign. Is God calling you? Then it cannot be mistaken as a call from man. It's a call from God, recreating you. You must be born again, Peter writes. God causes us to be born again. We don't understand those things when we first come to Christ. 
We grow into that knowledge which increases the praiseworthiness of our Creator and Redeemer. You've always had me on your mind. And I'm so blessed. Even a wretch like me. He recreated me. He recreates you. Until finally at the end of all things, the Son delivers up the kingdom to the Father. And we saw it, I think. And God is all and in all. So it's the spiritual kingdom now. Those who are in that spiritual kingdom have a king, and his name is Christ, Christ Jesus, the King of kings. We have a sovereign Lord. It doesn't matter what the world look like, looks like. It doesn't matter what the world may threaten. Christ is king. And somehow, even though things seem bad, somehow they are fitting within his divine will, and I bless God for it. But I thank him most of all that he saw fit to save me and to rescue me even from this age of strong deception and delusion. Where it seems as though Satan has emptied every tool in his box to twist humanity, to pervert the scripture, and to make Christianity look like a bad thing instead of a good thing. It's amazing, isn't it? That's what the Bible calls a reprobate mind. A mind that is flipped upside down. Isaiah writes, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. We're rescued from that because the Holy Spirit of God is in our hearts, in our lives. And he's placed there as a down payment. And he secures us. Secures us to the day of absolute and total redemption. This is why Christ says, it's not coming now by careful observation. The day will come when those signs will be here. Not now. The kingdom of God is in you. It's in you. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Listen to me. God is sovereign. Only a sovereign God can call me out of death and into life can take me from a fallen creation and recreate me and put me in his kingdom. Maybe you're here today without Christ. Come to Christ today. Only God can move you into the direction of Christ. Maybe you're here and you're already a Christian and this is where God wants you to plant your life as a believer to study the scriptures with us, to teach others the absolute truth of scriptures, to be discipled and to disciple, to fellowship with other believers. This is where God wants you to plant your life. You come and be part of this family. However God speaks to you, would you come today? Father God in heaven, Lord bless this time. You're sovereign even over this moment. And we humbly bow to that truth. Bless it as you see fit. Use it as you see fit. Whatever happens, we will give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and let's sing.